Good evening, church. Good evening, everyone. Um, I hope I'm clear enough from every quarter we are listening. We're all welcome tonight to another Bible study, as we always love to have them every week. And uh, tonight, we give God praise for another time to gather like this around his word and to have a time of fellowship with the Spirit of God, with his word and with one another. And tonight, as we begin, let us pray. Father, we thank you. We give you praise and we honor you tonight as God, as the only true living God, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your name be forever praised and glorified. Lord, we are here tonight as your dear children, as humble creatures of yours. Father, we ask for your in-breathing tonight. Breathe into us, Lord, true inspiration. Breathe into us, Lord, true teaching and doctrine. Help us, Lord, to pray your will. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you, even as we go on ahead tonight to exhort and to edify one another. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being our teacher, and we glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in our midst. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray tonight. Amen, amen, and amen. Okay, we're all welcome tonight once again. And um, tonight, by the grace of God, we'll be discussing a few things. Uh, this was uh, somehow dropped on in my spirit in one of our uh, prayer meetings in leadership uh, some weeks ago, actually. And somehow the thoughts has just kept coming back. And I was thinking, okay, what do I, uh, this one that the Lord has fallen on my head today. <laughs> what do I say? What's, what do we say? What do we uh, hear? And somehow the thoughts has just not left me alone. And somehow I trust that it is the will of God that we discuss this tonight and somehow pray at the end of it. And um, tonight, I trust also that it will be somehow another building block on what uh, Brother Rotimi was sharing with us uh, on Tuesday. You know, he was sharing about discerning the times and it made us understand the different uh, words used in the Bible to explain the concept of time. You know, there's the Kronos time, the Kairos time. I think we all remember, right? The normal time, like chronology is 1 p.m., 4th of January, 2022, and all of that. And there's the opportune time. See, seasonal time, times and seasons kind of time, okay? And somehow, as I was thinking about that, not that same day, but the day after, I somehow uh, thought about it to the direction that, you know, what are some of the things that clog our minds from discerning the times? Um, you know, it's not news that, you know, not all Christians in our generation know the times we're in. Not everybody knows the times and all of that. So what what's the problem or what are some of the problems? Of course, time would not afford us tonight to talk about all the problems we can observe. Okay, but there is one I have been led to talk about tonight. And uh, it may surprise some of us and it may not surprise most of us. But it's covetousness. 
covetousness. And uh, somehow in my thought process, the Spirit, of, the Spirit of God began to quicken my mind to the fact that this issue here tonight is one of the ways by which people's minds can be dulled towards discernment of the times and seasons that they find themselves. Covetousness. Now, what's covetousness really? Well, another word for covetousness is greed in simple words. And what is that in Bible? In, in What's the Bible meaning of that? Now, covetousness or greed actually is a form of uh, an inordinate desire to have more. An inordinate, a wrong desire, a form of greedy avarice. You know, this, this uh, unhealthy desire to just have more. To keep having more. Now, covetousness doesn't uh, depend on whether you are rich or poor. A rich person can be covetous. A poor person can be covetous. A, an educated person can be covetous. An illiterate can be covetous. So it's not really about what you have or what you don't have. It's about the desire in there. And you see, this thing called covetousness, actually, I discovered was the first wrong inclination that led humanity to, to fall from glory. If you look at it, uh, we won't turn there for the sake of uh, our time, but remember the story in Genesis 3. The serpent, okay, characterized the devil, came around, the tempter, and he said, hey, take a look at that fruit. You know, first, he casts doubt on God's word, as God truly said, as God really said. Okay, after that, he started to lure the woman to begin to have inordinate desire for something that she judged she did not have. You see, somehow this, this inordinate desire was beginning to stir up in the heart of Eve and by extension, Adam also. And they began to crave and desire something that they judged that God has not given them or what they did not have. And this in turn clogged their sense of judgment. And this in turn made their discernment to be dulled. And somehow they fell from glory. In fact, this thing called covetousness, right? We also discover from, from the Bible that uh, uh, this is one of the signs that actually characterize the last days. Uh, if you read uh, 2 Timothy 3, Verse 1 and 2, won't turn there because of time. But it says there clearly that, you know, in the last days, you know, the Spirit expressly says, in the last days, perilous time to come. For men will be lovers of self. It starts with love of self. Then it goes to love of money. You know, then it goes to boasters, proud, and the, and the likes. You know, but it starts with love of self and love of money. See, that's covetousness. You see, when you love money, greed. And it's part of the signs of the end of the age. See, humanity started its fall from glory from there. And somehow this strange vice would find itself rear up its ugly head in the last days again. And somehow tonight, by the grace of God, I'm hoping that as a building block, this would somehow steer some of us away from the direction of greed. You know, when we mention the word sin, 
as Christians, we often think about uh, the most common ones. Oh, will I say common? No, not common. Uh, the most talked about ones, the scandalous ones. You know, you hear fornication, adultery, drunkenness, you know. But what if I told us tonight that greed is also in this category? And we're going to read a few scriptures now and you see the groups in which greed or covetousness was listed with the groups in which, you know, God places it. But before we do that, let's read one central scripture found in Luke 12. Luke 12, uh, from verse 13 to 21. Now, this narrative here, actually, Christ was trying to share some very high things with his people was trying to get some truths across. But suddenly, while that great sermon was going on, suddenly one man in the crowd was still distracted by something amidst, you know, all the revelation that was pouring out from the mouth of Christ. Let's hear what this person said, this distracted fellow. From verse 13 of Luke 12, he says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Christ, said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then, he spake a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. And if you read on, Christ went ahead to give the antidote to greed, which we're going to discuss later on. But tonight, my goal, first of all, is to paint covetousness black as it is. Because somehow, especially in this, our generation, in these last days, covetousness has been so commercialized that even we believers we don't know what it is anymore we really we've lost sight of it and somehow this is an enemy of our souls that we are not giving proper recognition to somehow this thing called covetousness or greed in our days hiding under the blanket to do us harm to do us great harm in our souls and this may be some of the reasons why you know some of us or some believers are being dulled in their discernment of the times because they are carried away by the covetous spirit of the age. Mm. 
Okay, let's go on. Uh, quickly, let's read Mark chapter 7, 20 to 23. Mark 7, 20 to 23. I'll read very quickly because of the brevity of our time. It says here, this is Christ speaking. He said, and he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness. You see that in that wicked list there. And after covetousness comes wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. A Christ called covetousness an evil thing. And it has the capacity in itself to defile, to make a man unacceptable before God. Wow. Okay, quickly tonight. Romans 1, 28 to 29. Romans 1. 28 29. It says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind and to do those things which are not fitting. Now let's listen to the things that are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit evil mindedness they are whisperers and the list goes on and on what you see here one thing you would notice very quickly as we read all these passages is that covetousness comes as one of the first on the list like i said by the grace of god we are trying to paint covetousness in its true color tonight black very evil very repulsive in the eyes of god and somehow this is the order of our day this is what almost every advert paints to us, you know. This is what the motivational speakers would call, you know, uh, not, not taking no for an answer, you know, not settling for less in life. Now, I know some of us might be questioning, ah, is it a bad thing not to settle for less in life? We will draw a balance by God's grace soon. But quickly, Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 5 to 7 says here therefore put to death your members which are on the earth fornication uncleanness passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry mm. we'll come back to that because of these things the wrath of god is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Uh, it's interesting that the word of God here calls covetousness idolatry. Mm. And we'll see how true this is as we move on tonight. But Paul the Apostle is telling us here that because of these things, covetousness inclusive, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. We must not be a particle with those. Quickly, uh, 
First Corinthians 10, 14. First Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Uh, you see, remember that in uh, Ephesians now, we just read that uh, covetousness is idolatry. Same thing in the sight of God. So in case uh, there's one fellow thinking, ah, well, uh, flee idolatry. Well, me, I don't have one uh, in my closet. I don't have one wooden idol, you know, iron idol that I'm bowing down to every day. I'm not a pagan. I'm not an idol worshiper. Know for sure that according to the standards of the spirit of God, greed or covetousness is on the same level with idolatry. In fact, it is idolatry. It's just another form of idolatry. And there are two things in the New Testament that I have discovered that the Bible says that we should flee from. You see, one of them is uh, when the Bible says we should flee sexual sins, sexual immorality. Uh, Paul also told Timothy, he said, flee, sec uh, flee youthful lusts. It's the same thing. But the other thing I discovered that the New Testament commands us to flee from is idolatry, which greed is a form of. So are we seeing how black this particular vice is? It's an enemy of our soul. It's an enemy. Quickly tonight, Proverbs 12, 12. Proverbs 12, verse 12. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. You see, uh, if we are coveting the plunder, the catch of evil men, you know, there's a way you can somehow look at your unbelieving friends and you're like, ah, man, wow, look at me. Eh? Just shouting Jesus, Jesus everywhere. And I don't I even have anything to show for it. And look at all these, my friends, they are, they are moving ahead. They are doing stuff. And you very well know that these, your friends could care less about God or the things of God. Now, the Bible says that the only kind of person that covets the catch of evil men, that covets the plunder, that covets the success of evil men is also a wicked man. <laughs> wow. Folks, covetousness is not our friend. And covetousness would hinder, would clog our relationship with God because it is one of those things that God's wrath is going to be displayed against. Once again, how is covetousness idolatry? You know, we have somewhere in Luke 16. Let me find it quickly. Luke 16, where Christ said something quite important. Luke 16, uh, verse 13. It says there, uh, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mm. Now, let me ask us a question. Uh, which being in the universe is worthy of worship? Uh, would I be correct if I said God alone? Yes, of course. God alone is worthy of worship. 
And when someone turns that glorious attention of worship to another being or creature, what do we call it? We call it idolatry, right? Now, when one turns that attention to mammon, which is, you know, uh, a, a representation of money. Is it safe to call it idolatry? Yes, it's still idolatry. In fact, it's so much of idolatry that Christ Jesus had to compare it to the worship of God. You see, folks, we must not deceive ourselves. You either hate one, and love the other or else you will be loyal to one and despise the other it is not possible actually to serve both god and ambition or money it's not possible uh, like i said some of us might have questions in our hearts but by the grace of god we will draw a balance but let's call it what it is first it is not safe for a child of God, actually, to think, I don't, I, uh, to think covetousness is something we can tolerate. In fact, uh, I think in one of the passages we read, I think it's in uh, Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians. I don't think we've read Ephesians yet. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Uh, 3 to 7. Ephesians 5, 3, 7, it says, but fornication, in fact, let me read from verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. You see the list again. You see the group that covetousness comes in. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this we know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. You see, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word must be established. We saw it in Colossians, we're seeing it in Ephesians, that actually covetousness is idolatry. It says, no fornicator, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you. Let no motivational speaker, let no celebrity, let no social media influencer deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Do we see this? So once again, you know, you know, there's a way we, we read this scripture we just finished now. 
uh, you know, verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be even named among you. And subconsciously, what our minds will go to is fornication. Oh, let there not be scandal in the church. Let there not be, you know, fornication in the church. Oh, ah, let it not be heard that so so and so person is having an affair with so so and so person. Oh, let it not be heard. Oh, outside wedlock. Ah. But do we ever really think of covetousness in that same light? I mean, cleanliness is a topic for another day. But do we think of covetousness in that same light? Like, oh my goodness, woe betide us if any one of us, if any one of us here is covetous. Woe betide us if any one of us here actually covets that which belongs to another person or is greedy. You see, this inordinate desire for what one judges that he does not have. And tonight, what are the dangers of covetousness, really? What, what, what can covetousness do? You see, covetousness can hinder prayer. Yeah, we see that in James 4, quickly. We go to let, in fact, James has a lot to say on this topic. Maybe I'll just read another passage in James, which I don't have uh, noted here. But let's read the one I noted first. James 4, covetousness can hinder prayers. Uh, sorry. Thank you. Um, James 4, uh, verse 1 to 3. Let's read. It says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that walk, that war in your members? When, when the Bible talks about your members, it's talking about your minds, you know, the components of your mind, you know, your body parts, you know, your brain, your thought process. You know, it says that these pleasures, these desires for pleasure, they are warring in your members. Verse 2, it says, you lost and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You see, remember, in, uh, according to New Testament standard, uh, murder is not until you physically, you know, snuff life out of someone. Murder is equivalent to hatred. So we can as well read this by saying that, you know, you hate and you covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see that, that you may spend it on your greed. You see, oh, someone just got a car and left to you. You're like, what? Uh, you know, there's a way we can use religious language to, to cover up covetousness in, in Christendom. We say, ah, my own testimony is next. Well, provided you mean that in a godly way, good for you. But really, if the root of that word from your mouth was a covetous thought, you know, the, the 10th commandment, it says you shall not covet, you know, your neighbor's wife, his goods, his donkey, any of his things. If the root of that, oh, my testimony is next, or can you call stuff like that? If the root of that word is actually, ah, wow. Eh? Look at this one, I Alboska, when did this start working? Eh, me that I've been doing this all this way, I've been trusting God, eh? nothing, nothing. If the root is that, I can tell you for sure that that utterance, my testimony is ne next, has just gone to the wind. Because the Bible clearly tells us that if it's rooted in hatred and, you know, covetousness, in this envy, you know, such prayers will not be answered. It will be praying amiss. 
But look at look at what he said again in verse four. If you go down to verse four, he says adulterers and adulteresses. You know, folks, that uh, adultery, apart from the normal sense of adultery that we all know, adultery also in scripture is a picture of idolatry. You know, if you read the prophet Hosea, God was using Hosea's life and testimony to preach to the Israelites how they have committed adultery with foreign gods. You know, I, adultery is also idolatry. And if you do the equation correctly, adultery is idolatry, which is also covetousness. So James is saying here that adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You see, this peeping out of the fence of God and looking at unbelievers and, you know, somehow coveting their stuff is, enemy, is enmity with God and wishing somehow you are like them. As whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But let's read another passage in James, like I said, we would. Uh, it's in the last chapter, uh, James 5, James 5, uh, from verse 1. We'll read through to uh, say verse uh, 6. Check this out, folks. It says, come now, you rich, you folks who are rich, come. James has a word. He says, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Wow. This sounds like something from the Old Testament. But here it is in the New. It says, your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. We'll come back to that statement. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cries out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. It does not resist you. Now, here James is passing a word of rebuke to people who are selfishly rich and who are also being plagued by this thing called covetousness. Remember I said at the beginning that covetousness is not just for the poor alone. Not only the poor covet things that they think they don't have, the rich also covet things that they think they don't have. And he says here in that uh, verse 3, the later part, he says you have heaped up treasure in the last days. What does that even mean? You see, the last days, we all know that Christ is coming back. And you see, part of the things that will characterize his coming back is the destruction of the entire world system. And James is saying here that, look at you, in the very last days when the coming of Christ is so close, you are actually building and shipping up treasures for yourself in the last days when, when the thing will be, will be destroyed in no time. And he was indirectly saying, how unwise are you, you know, to be coveting and to, you know, this greed, this inordinate desire for more and more and more in the last days. So you see again how covetousness and greed can actually dull our senses and dull our discernment. You see, Christ said in uh, Luke 21, we don't have to turn there, but he said there, he said, beware lest your hearts be weighed down by carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life. 
there is a way our hearts can be dulled to, to the things of God through covetousness and greed. There is a way the heart of the believer can be weighed down. Somehow the things of God becomes stressful. Somehow you start to make excuses against commitment to God because of covetousness. I mean, look at our generation today. What is one of the greatest hindrances to, uh, to the commitment of young folks today to Christ? I am sure you agree with me that one of the greatest hindrances of young folks committing to God in our day right now is this thing called covetousness. The fact that they feel that they are going to lose out on, you know, the enjoyments. You know, they feel like, ah, there's something that, you know, me myself, I want blue. It's dangerous. It's a trap. You know, Christ also called it the deceitfulness of riches. You know, when he told when he interpreted the parable of the seeds and the ground, you know, the seeds that fell on thorny ground, he said these fell among, you know, cares of this life, you know, pleasures, deceitfulness of riches. You know, there is a way covetousness can deceive the heart of man and make the heart of man not see what he ought to see. So covetousness, like I said, can hinder prayer. Covetousness also can hinder our true worship of God. You see, it can. You know, there is a way you can't really worship God the way you ought to because you feel there is a certain thing that, you know, there's a certain need that God has not met just yet. And God is saying, hey, take a look, count your blessings. I've done much more than you can count, actually. Step back for a moment and, you know, uh, take a little break from this covetousness train. But you see, covetousness can hinder true worship. We saw it in Luke 16, 13, where Christ said, you know, you can't serve two masters. Another thing covetousness does is it, it, uh, it makes us lose our peace through anxiety. You see, there is a way when you are covetous, when covetous thoughts cross to, through your mind and you entertain them, there is a way it makes you lose your peace. And I think we understand what I'm saying tonight. There is a way because of, you know, this happened to me sometime. Uh, I can never forget this thought process I find I found myself in. And I actually blame myself for, for allowing my mind to entertain such a thought. You know, there was a time I went on LinkedIn. I've always been on LinkedIn for years, you know. And I just decided to visit my profile again after a long time. Ah, let me see what's going on on LinkedIn. You know, folks, I thought, uh, you know, I don't know how they say it now in the slang of today. They say, ah, yeah, you know, pressure, what? They are pressurizing you, you know, that kind of thing, peer pressure. You know, you go online, you see your mate snapping a, a picture beside one big guy in uh, Calgary, Canada. And you're like, ah, oh boy, pressure, what? You know, kind of thing. I thought it was only social media platforms like Instagram, uh, TikTok, and Facebook that could pressure. Little did I know that LinkedIn had it, had, had its own too. I didn't know LinkedIn also could be a tool in the enemy's hand. And I went on LinkedIn that, that season and, you know, I was just going through, going through and maybe it was my own profile that I went to check. And that's how I started stumbling on all sorts of people's profiles on my feed. You know, I started looking at people's stuff. Ah, this person has PhD in this, PhD in that. I know personally, one of my goals before, before Christ actually arrested me, you know, very wonderful ways. One of my goals was actually to have PhD in a certain field. I won't mention the field, but, you know, I have, I've always wanted to, you know, do like deep study, you know, do research and stuff like that, you know. And 
So when I saw some of these things on, you know, LinkedIn, I was just like, oh my goodness. See people that I finished school together with. See this one, PhD, double masters in this, blah, 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 in all sorts of countries in the world. And somehow, because I started becoming covetous, I started coveting things that I judged I did not have. And I judged that God has not blessed me with. And somehow I became disgruntled and I started thinking in several other directions. And I started contemplating several other decisions. I won't go into them because of time. But the end of that was I regretted that thought and I repented from it. And till date, I've not gone back to that thought process anymore. You know, because I saw how harmful it was on my true calling in God. And you see, folks, there is a way you can take a look at you know, your social media feed and all sorts of, you, we all understand what I'm saying. I don't have to talk too much on this. But as a way this thing can weigh down on your soul to the point that you lose your peace. Not only that, you become an anxious fellow. You start, this anxiety just builds from nowhere. You that you are living peaceful all the while, you know, ignorant of all, all the, you know, all the so-called needs, desperate and you know, legitimate needs that the devil can use as a, as a leash on your soul. Somehow your eyes were opened, like Eve's eyes were opened. You know, the Bible says that the woman looked and boom, suddenly she saw that the fruit, the fruit was good for food. Oh, suddenly she saw that it was, uh, you know, it was pleasant to the eyes. Suddenly she saw, she discovered that, oh, it was good enough to make one wise. She ate and her eyes became opened again. Suddenly, your eyes just become open to this other side of life. And you're like, look at me. I'm just wasting away. Eh? Look at my friends. Eh? This, see, eh? maybe I'll just, I'll just call pastor and tell him that, sir, see, I won't, be, I won't be in church for some time. You have to excuse me. And you begin to make so-called rational decisions against Christ. You begin to sell your birthright for a pot of soup. You see, you begin to, we have a birthright in Christ. It's called being born again. It's called the regeneration of the spirit. And it has no price tag on it. The price tag is the blood of the son of God. And there is a way you can trade that in these last days because of the pressure from the world. There's a way that can be a hindrance on the progress of your soul. There's a way that can begin to dull your senses to the things of God. And tonight, by the grace of God, we are going to tear down this stronghold. And at the end of this, we're just going to pray before we go tonight. But as we go on tonight, let's run quickly. So like I said, covetousness can make us lose our peace through anxiety. When you keep looking hither, theta, you keep looking left, right. You know, your eyes are not single. Somehow, somehow you lose your peace. You know, for some of us who are married, you know, you begin to look left, right. You know, this lady is cuter. That man is more handsome. This, that, this, and the other thing. And somehow you begin to see flaws in your spouse that you never noticed. Somehow quarrels, you know, get, get stared up from nowhere. Somehow there's a level of dissatisfaction from nowhere. You know, <laughs> wow, the devil is a liar. So tonight, what, what are the antidotes to, to this thing called covetousness? What can we do? What can we do? I mean, it's good enough to paint it in its right color, but what can we do? Well, quickly, the word of God tells us uh, in Psalm 37, 
I think verse 4 now, it says we should delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our hearts. And if we read quickly uh, Psalm 119, let me turn there. Let's turn there if we can. Psalm 119, uh, let's read from verse 34 to 38. Psalm 119, 34 to 38. It says here, Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall preserve, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. I can I can quickly bring out three things here. First, delighting in God's word would deal with covetousness. Second, not looking at worthless things also would deal with covetousness. And lastly, devoting ourselves to the fear of the Lord would deal with covetousness. You see, uh, verse 37 there, it's not a coincidence that verse 37 came just after the statements in verse 36. Verse 36 once again says, incline my heart to your testimonies. What are God's testimonies? His word. God's testimonies are, are his word. And he said, and not to covetousness. So the opposite is when your attention is turned away from the testimonies of God as revealed in the Holy Scriptures, somehow your heart is led into covetousness, just like how the serpent turned away Eve's focus from God's testimonies because he started his conversation with her by saying, as God truly said. And by the moment she turned away from God's word, the next option was covetousness. And verse 37 says here, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless, worthless, worthless things. I think the KJV says, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity or something like that. I'm not sure. But you see, folks, uh, we can as well learn from my own horrible experience. If I had not found myself looking at vanity on, 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 on LinkedIn, I would not have found myself, you know, trailing on the, on, the, on the path of covetousness. There is a way sometimes when we are over distracted by social media, consistent beholding of social media, consistent looking at hours upon hours, scrolling upon scrolling until your eyes are sunken in and your, your forehead is aching. There is a way you do that over and over to the point that somehow you leave that platform and a, a, a fortress of covetousness has been built in your heart. But tonight, we are learning that Christ has not taught us so. That's not the way of Christ. So quickly tonight, lastly, another thing to help to shun this greed and this thought of covetousness in our hearts is that we must learn the art of contentment. Quickly, Hebrews 13, 5 to 6 tonight. Hebrews 13, 5 to 6. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who said this? Oh, the Most High. 
He says about us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So we may boldly say, Ah, the Lord is our helper. We will not fear. What can man do to us? You see, one of the things that breeds covetousness is fear. When we fear what man can do, somehow there's a fear of tomorrow, fear of the economy, fear of government policies, you know, fear of, you know, uh, employers among us, fear of losing an employee, you know, and the employees among us, fear of losing your job, fear of falling out of favor with your employer, you know. Somehow this fear can lead to, you know, an, an, an unbridled lust for things that you judge you don't have. But the antidote tonight is contentment. Contentment, contentment. Quickly, 1 Timothy 6. Uh, I presume this is the last scripture we're going to read tonight by God's grace before we pray together. 1 Timothy. Oh, sorry, this slipping out. 1 Timothy 6, from verse 3 to 11. 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 11. It says here, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with God godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, you see that? Strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Who suppose that godliness is a means to gain, to financial gain, to be specific? From such, withdraw yourself, you see, flee. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Amen. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, like I said previously at the, at the beginning that some of us might be asking, ah, is it wrong to be ambitious? Is it wrong to aim for more? Is it wrong? Is it wrong? Is it wrong? Well, Let's quickly, by God's grace, draw a balance before we pray. It is not wrong to aim for more and to want to be the best of your kind and, you know, to do all of that. It is not wrong. But here is where it becomes wrong. When all of this is done outside the will of God. Folks, you know what I realize? You know what I realize? I realize that provided you see to it that you are aligned with the will of God for your life, if that is your primary focus, and I mean primary, above every other thing, if our primary focus is to seek alignment with God's purpose, why God made you in the first place and why God recreated you in Christ Jesus, if our purpose is to find that and to align ourselves to it, I've discovered that supplying of everything you need in the course of that pursuit is the least of your problems. 
Okay, maybe I'm complicating it. As long as you are in alignment with the purposes of God for your life as revealed to you in your new creation, hmm? the supply, financial supply, yeah, where you live, if you have children, whether you have children or if your children will prosper or one thing, one thing, your business, your career, your whatever it is, all of that would follow, actually. But the problem is this. In our day, we've been conditioned to think that God is not good as a father as he shows himself to be. So therefore, let's take responsibility into our own hands. And let's somehow push God to the background and let's just sail our ship and, you know, God will just follow after us. But we found out that, I mean, I have found out in my own life that that has worked out to my own detriment. I mean, so I can say this with full chest. <laughs> it has worked out to my detriment. And I discovered in my own life that as I began to align myself with God's purpose, as I began to prioritize, okay, what, what does God really want for me? How can I please him? Okay, okay, okay. Even if he doesn't reveal 100% what he wants me to do in all my years on earth. Okay, the small ones I know that are his obvious will for me in his word. Okay, let me start to be diligent to do them at least. Small, 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 small. I found out that in that pursuit, as I'm busy doing that, Somehow, God takes care of the rest. We need to trust God, folks, because absence of this kind of trust in God will hinder our spiritual journey. It would hinder, it will hinder everything, except if we are not believers. But if we are believers, it will hinder, it will hinder, it will hinder. And tonight, as we round off, I desire that we pray together. And our prayer petition tonight is, Lord, teach me to be content. You know, God has to teach us. It's not, it's not an easy thing, especially in this, our generation, where, you know, uh, love of money, love of self, you know, self-love and all these kind of things are being propagated, even in the churches, you know, is dressed up in a, in a fine religious clock. Even in our churches, these things are being glorified. And these are the big idols of the churches. You know, we can as well trust God and pray to God tonight that God will teach us to be content. That God will teach us to rest satisfied in him. That God will teach us to actually put him first and to teach us his fear, to fear him indeed. Because folks, when we fear God, we would not fear what man can do to us. When we fear God, we would not fear what the economy can bring our way. Somehow, it seems to me through my personal study of scripture that... Uh, the, the, the true test of God's supernatural provision for his children is when there is lack in town. <laughs> when there is lack in town is where God delights to show himself strong on behalf of his children. So can we trust God tonight and just commit ourselves to God? Let's commit ourselves to God tonight. Let's commit ourselves. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to you tonight. Lord, we've seen in your word that covetousness is the enemy of our soul. Covetousness is en is enmity with is enmity against you. And Father, we do not want to be partakers alongside with those on whom your wrath will be displayed over because of these things. Lord, teach us to flee covetousness, which is idolatry. 
teach us lost teach us lord to flee love of self and love of financial prosperity lord we know that you would provide for all our needs and you will prosper us so long as we prioritize your kingdom and place it first and your righteousness father we do not want to flip it over we do not want to place these other things first and then your kingdom second Lord, we desire to place you first where you truly and rightfully belong. And Lord, we dethrone the love of money tonight. We dethrone love of ambition tonight. We dethrone uh, greed. We dethrone covetousness tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We renounce it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, you can say, I renounce covetousness. I renounce it. I renounce it. I'm an enemy of covetousness. I'm an enemy of greed. Greed is foreign to my mind. I refuse to be greedy. In this generation, I refuse to be greedy. We can say that together. In this, in this generation, I refuse to be greedy. In this generation, I am content with the success that comes from God and God alone. In this generation, I am satisfied with the prosperity that comes from God alone. I will not covet the prosperity of the world. I will not covet success that comes from the world. I will not be carried away by the deceitfulness of riches, but I will rest content and satisfied in the provisions and the providence of Almighty God, who is our Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we rest content in you, Father. We do not run from pillar to post looking for what is not lost. Lord, we, we, do not, we do not submit, Lord, our ears and our minds to the temptation of the age, tempting us with all its subtlety away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Lord, it is your will. You said in your word that you delight in the prosperity of your servant. Lord, we know that you delight in our prosperity, but Lord, all you demand from us is that we put it where it belongs. And Father, tonight we dethrone prosperity and we put you on the throne of our hearts, that true prosperity may follow. You said in your word, Lord, that in the fear of the Lord is true riches and honor. Lord, this is the kind that we want. We do not want the one, the, the one that the world has to offer. We do not want the one that the world is glorifying and, and glamorizing. But Lord, the kind of success, the kind of prosperity, the kind of, 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 uh, of provision that we need is the one that can only come from you, Lord God. And we thank you, Father, because this is our testimony. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is our testimony, Father. We give you praise tonight. Thank you for understanding granted. Thank you, Lord, for wisdom granted and imparted tonight to us all. Thank you, Lord, because we walk in the light of the wisdom of this word. We are not forgetful here as Lord, but we are doers of your word. We go on doing the work. Thank you, Lord, because you plant in our heart a passion for your work. You plant in our hearts, oh God, a passion to please you in all things and at all times. Thank you, Father God, for removing all things that are not of you in our hearts and in our minds. We give you all the glory and we praise your holy name tonight. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen.
Okay, so we've come to the end of today's meeting. Uh, thank you all for participating. It was a blessed time and we praise God for the wonderful time that we've had together. We will see you again by the grace of God on Saturday in our congregational prayer meeting. Let's have a wonderful night rest in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All grace to us all.